Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome to you this morning. My name, again, like they said, my name is Jesse, and I lead up at the Waverly Campus. And again, it's just great to be with you, and I'm so glad that, uh, that you could join in from all over the place. And so again, welcome, and thanks for being here. And so the biblical writers, like we said, they, they used a lot of different uh, metaphors or word pictures to sort of help people understand why Jesus was killed, especially the way he was killed in a very public and a shameful sort of death on a Roman cross. And today we're going to talk about the metaphor of blood and the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I don't know uh, about you, but this one to me seems pretty distant from my world. Um, we try to do as little blood as possible in our house. But in the first century, I'm sure there were people who really knew about what this was all about, the blood sacrifice, because they had probably seen it happen before. In the ancient world, back in the Old Testament, what they said was that the life of an animal or the life of a person was actually in its blood. And so for the blood sacrifice, what they would do is often they would slit the animal's throat and they would literally pour out its blood and even capture it into a bowl. And then they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it or wipe it in various places to clean an altar or something like this. And then the animal died, literally pouring out its life for a greater cause. And so when the writers of, the, of the, the New Testament, when they were talking about Jesus and his blood being poured out for our sins, many, if not all, of the people in the first century, they would have understood this because they probably would have seen it happen before. Now, there are a lot of different verses from the New Testament that you can read about the blood of Jesus and what it accomplishes for us. I want to read a few of those here. The writers, they write this, they have redemption. They say, we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. We're brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. We have peace through the blood of Jesus. We're redeemed from an empty life with the blood. We're freed by the blood. We're purchased by the blood. We triumph by the blood. And my personal favorite, we are washed white in the blood of Jesus. On that note, I was driving a few weeks ago. I was going down Highway 3, which is west of Waverly, where I live, and I saw this sign on the side of the road. You can see uh, I got out and obviously took a picture of it. But if we get a little bit closer, you can kind of read what it says, but I'm also going to read it for you. It says this. It says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? So I don't know about you, but every once in a while when I come across something like this, I sort of try to imagine it as if somebody would have no idea what it's talking about if they came up to it. And I kind of try to imagine it as though it was like a very literal thing. And so I was driving down the road and thinking to myself, sort of being silly, like, have I ever washed in the blood of the lamb? Yeah, no, I've never tried that. Today, I'm proud to say that I am zest fully clean. But if you, if you actually, you take a look closer at the sign, you're going to see something here. And very small, you're going to see, uh, there's a Bible verse on this sign right here. And it says, 1 John 1, 7. And so I thought, well, why not just go there and read from that passage today? So if you have a Bible at home, I invite you to, to grab a Bible, to open it up to 1 John. And, uh, and 1 John, by the way, is at the very back of the Bible. You're going to come across 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And uh, we're going to be reading from 1 John in the, in the first chapter, actually. The letter was written by John. It wasn't written to John, so it's not a Dear John letter. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at the first chapter of 1 John and try to understand more about about the blood of Jesus and what this actually means for us. So we're going to start with 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 and I'm going to read and you can follow along at home. It says this. He writes, "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life." 
The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. We're gonna stop there. Now, John was writing to this gathering of people who had come to know about Jesus and they were considered Christians or followers of Jesus. And what we can make from this is if we go on and read the rest of the letter is that apparently there were some people who were starting to uh, uh, teach some funky things about Jesus and they were starting to actually lead the group astray and some people were actually leaving the group altogether. They were leaving the church and they weren't going church shopping like we hear about sometimes today. They were leaving the faith, the Christian faith. They were walking away from Jesus altogether. And so what John was doing was he was trying to write to gather this group of people back together. He was trying to do some correction and show them the true way of Jesus and who Jesus really was. Because people then and people today, we still kind of wrestle with this whole idea of God becoming a person and then dying on a cross, especially, especially in the ancient world. People would have said, well, that's not dignified of a God. That's not, that's not what gods do. And so that's where John writes in his letter. He writes these words. He says, that which was from the beginning, and here the word is, it's the eternal beginning, it's the forever beginning, this is the God beginning, that which was from the beginning, it's the word of life. And then he says, this life, it appeared to us, and another way to translate that is to say, it manifested here, that life, it manifested here, and then he says, we saw it, we heard it, and we touched it with our own hands, which is something incredible. And actually, he says this a bunch of times. Did you catch this? He said, we saw it, we heard it, we told it to you. We saw it, we heard it, we told it to you. We saw it, we heard it, we told it to you. Three times in four verses. He's just driving that point home. We saw this. And he's writing this letter to a group of people. He's trying to help them understand what he had experienced in Jesus. I mean, John had met the God-man, the person they're talking about, Jesus. He hung out with him for at least three, at least three years And then he watched him die on the cross that day. In fact, John was standing right next to Jesus' mother while Jesus' life was being poured out on the cross. You see, John was there at the foot of the cross on the day that Jesus was killed. And so as we read these words, this isn't just some religious mumbo-jumbo. It's not just reading a book about Jesus and God stuff. This is a man who watched his friend die a very cruel death. And he says, it makes my joy complete to be able to write this to you. And I know there may be some of us who are watching today and we're still not sure about this whole faith thing and that's okay. But just know that today we find ourselves listening to the words of a man who watched God become a human person and who died on a cross and now he's sharing it with us so that his joy can be made complete. Let's listen to what he has to say. We're going to keep reading. Pick up in verse 5, and it says this. It says, This is the message that we have heard from him, and we declare it to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. We're going to stop there. So John was talking about Jesus here, and he said that Jesus brought this message, and the message was this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Now, we'll ask the question, what is darkness? 
What is darkness? John actually goes on in chapter two. He writes to us about what is darkness. He says that anyone who hates a brother or a sister is walking in the dark. And he said, here, here is what hate looks like. It includes looking down on people. It includes detesting them. And he said, when we walk in the dark, we don't really know where we're going. We're actually blinded by this kind of life. We stumble around in our lives when we walk in darkness like this. You know, I talked with a friend this past week. He's a good friend of mine. We've been friends for over 20 years. And the funny thing is, of all things, is that he called me because he saw on Facebook that I posted this sort of Bible study that I was doing. And it's pretty cool because, listen to this, a few years ago he told me, he said, your people, meaning church people, he said, your people, they don't like my people. He said, they don't like me. In fact, they detest me. And this is the message that he gets from church people. And hearing him share this, like, it's been a challenge for me to think about how am I using my words? How am I using my words, especially the messages that I'm sending as I represent Jesus in this world? And in more than words, though, it's really about a heart issue because Jesus said the mouth speaks with the heart is full of anyway. And so if our heart is full of darkness, then we're just going to speak that darkness, whether we're talking about people outside the church, people inside the church, our spouse, our coworkers, our neighbor, our kids, our parents, whatever it might be. Even if we just whisper those words under our breath, it's showing us what's going on inside of our hearts. Now, I know sometimes it's hard to know exactly what's going on inside of our hearts and, and what that's telling us about what's going on. And so this past week, I was talking with some guys. I meet with a regular guys group, and we were talking about this and say, you know, sometimes I don't do feelings very well. I just don't know what they're communicating. And so what I did was I went out, and I got this, this page of all these different emotions, these feelings that you might feel, and I started reading the descriptions of all of them and saying, gosh, if this is what this emotion feels like, then this is maybe what it's telling me about what's going on, and on inside of my heart, and it's been a fun process so far. Really, what I hope to do is to be able to use this tool as, an, as a way to examine what's going on inside of my heart and maybe to invite the light of Jesus into those dark spaces God is light John says and with God's light we can see where we're going we can navigate the obstacles and we can be set free to love and to value others even when we're trapped in the house with them all day and they just keep making messes and they won't leave me alone for five minutes I can get work done but that's I love my kids that's for another time so what is this way of light? What is this way of light? Let's, uh, let's keep reading and we're going to see where John, where he takes us next. John writes this. Verse 7 we're going to be in. John writes, he says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let me stop there. So I don't know if you've caught on yet, but John is listing out a bunch of if statements. We've already read one, and here was number two and three. There's going to be five total in this section, five if statements, five hypotheticals that John sort of throws out there. Remember that what he's doing is he's, he's trying to grab this group of people and bring them back together, together, and he's giving them a way to think about what it truly means to be a part of the church, to be a part of the people of God. 
Let me tell you, churches all over the world are asking this question right now because we can't meet together normally like we do on a Sunday morning. And so what is it that we're about anyway? This has been a good opportunity for us to sort of revisit what is church all about. And as you heard Carla and Jeff talk about, we've had a lot of creativity here at Orchard Hill Church, re-examining and then, and then sort of uh, redistributing what we're doing in ministry in lots of different and creative ways. And it's so great to see that. This time he's, he's helping us not so much focus on the what we should be doing, but how we should be living, especially in this time of uncertainty. John is focusing us in, focusing us in on our hearts. And so he's got these two more hypotheticals. We're actually gonna look at the second one first. And the second one said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So what is sin? You know, the word for sin, it's, it's this word that comes from uh, archery, like shooting a bow and arrow, right? So if you're shooting a bow and arrow and you, you want to hit a bullseye, but the word sin actually means to miss the mark. So sin is, is when you don't hit the bullseye. Now, one brilliant theologian, he said this. He said, you know what? People don't try to miss the bullseye on purpose. You don't try to miss the mark. And so what is going on here? Why would people miss the mark? So if we go way back to the beginning of the Bible, let's go all the way back. God had just created the world. He planted a garden. He put the first people in there, Adam and Eve. And he said, look, you can eat from anything here in the garden, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which is just a setup for a great story, isn't it? Because along comes a serpent. The serpent comes into the garden and says, hey, if you eat from that tree, good things are going to happen for you. You see, the serpent used deception and the serpent used temptation with the two people. And he got them to believe something that wasn't true. And so they ate the fruit. And when they did that, they missed the mark with God. And what we see in this whole picture is there is this presence of a power that we call sin with a capital S. David wrote about this. He wrote in the Psalms, he said that he was sinful actually from birth, sinful even from the time of conception. You see the sin power, it's a, it's a power that works in us and through us and has affected every part of our being even before we've taken our first breath. And it's a power that deceives us into believing something that's not true. Sometimes it gets us believing something about us that we're more than what we were created to be and sometimes it gets us believing that we are less than what we created to be. And in believing and acting on these lies, we miss the mark with God and we fall into temptation and deception and darkness and sin. When Adam and Eve, when they ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they hid from God in shame. It's as though all of a sudden they knew what was right and wrong because they just ate from the tree of knowing right and wrong. And they knew that they were wrong and they felt shame and they felt guilt. And one insightful author said, you know, guilt is sometimes, it's like hate, only it's like we turn the hate on ourselves. But they didn't just turn on themselves, they actually turned on others as well. When they came into the garden, they said, she did it, and they said, he did it, and they were filled with guilt, and they were filled with blame. And it's almost sometimes as though as sin grabs onto that baggage that we carry in our heart, and it really starts to push down and weigh down on us. And so sin, it is a power, but it is also our participation with that power. And as we fall into sin, we reach for something. And so we end up grabbing things like pride and envy and guilt. 
and blame and, and lust and greed and jealousy and hate and gossip and we participate in sin and we live in this darkness. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. If we walk in the light, John says, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, releasing us from the baggage that is in our hearts. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in his letter to the Romans, he said, God condemned sin. Now the word condemned, katakrino, it means to decide against or it means to judge down. And in Christ Jesus, God didn't decide against you and me, but God decided against sin itself. And this is where we find the power of the blood of Jesus over the power of sin. And so when Adam and Eve, when they fell under the power of sin and they participated with that power, God ended up removing them from the garden, removing them from his presence because God and sin don't mix. That's like oil and water. But God didn't abandon his people. He didn't abandon his people. Years later, God came to his people and he had them build a tabernacle, which was a big tent. And after that, he had them build a temple. And then right in the middle of these structures, there was this room called the Holy of Holies. And that's where God was said to dwell with his people. But there was this curtain in front of that room and you couldn't get in. You couldn't get in to be in the presence of God. That curtain stood between God and his people because if you walked in there, you would be killed. And so once a year, a priest was chosen to perform these certain ceremonies where he would enter into that room, he would enter into that space, but it says the only way he could enter into that space, enter through that curtain, was with the blood of a sacrificed animal because it takes a life in order to get in there. And so they would kill the animal, they would gather its blood and actually carry it into a bowl, taking the life of the animal in there with them and wiping it on certain places and sprinkling it clean so that the people of God could meet with God. The sacrifices, more specifically, there was a bull, and that represented how the, the sins of the people are covered over. There was a goat which was killed, and then it was totally burned up, just, which symbolized a total surrender to God. And there was another goat, they call it the scapegoat, and what they would do is, is the priests would confess the sins of the people onto this goat, and then they would send that goat out into the wilderness, and it would, it would run away, and symbolically it would take all of the sins of the people away. And this happened year after year after year after year because the sins never really went away until Jesus, until his blood sacrifice on the cross. See, Jesus took on the role of the priest and that he was the one who went before God. And Jesus' whole life was this perfect surrender to God. And Jesus carried with him the sins of the world, but he didn't just carry them out into the wilderness where they were stayed. He carried them with him into the grave where they were destroyed forever. And so his blood, it covers over our sin. And then listen to this. Just listen to this. On the day that Jesus was killed, just after Jesus breathed his last breath, that curtain, that curtain that hung between the people and God, it was torn from top to bottom. And the divide between God and his people had been opened. You know, a few years ago, I worked for a construction company and uh, one day we're working down this long gravel road. We're working on this house. And... Um, 
was the end of the day, we were all working, and uh, it was my job, I was leaving to go back to the office, and I was gonna drive our big dump truck back, and so I get into the big dump truck, and I'm driving down the gravel road, and I realize, I've gone quite a ways down the road, and I realize that I've forgotten something back at the house. And so what I did was, uh, I stopped the truck, and thinking I need to get back to the house, and I look ahead, and there's no place to turn around. I mean, it's a long ways up, and there's just no place to turn around. And so I check my review mirrors, and I think, well, there's nobody behind me. I bet I could do this. I bet I could back this thing up. And so I did. I started backing up, put it in reverse, checking the mirrors, checking the mirrors, driving slow at first, just driving backwards, this big dump truck all the way down this gravel road. And did I say it was quite a ways away? I mean, it was quite a ways. And so I'm driving the dump truck backwards, going, you know, checking both mirrors, because you can't turn around and look backwards, it's a dump truck. And so I'm just checking the mirrors, checking the mirrors, and, uh, and doing okay, keeping it on the road the whole way. And I get all the way back to the house where we were working, and the rest of the crew is standing out in the yard, kind of waiting for me, because they had watched me just back this truck down the whole driveway like a boss. But it was, uh, they, were, they were laughing and sort of saying, what, did you back that up all the way? Yeah, and so what I did was then I pushed in on the clutch of the truck, which means I was gonna coast for a little bit, just while I was talking to them and then got the piece that I forgot in the first place. And so I'm sitting there with my arm on the window and talking out and talking with them and saying, hey, how are you guys, you know, talking, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I wasn't looking at them anymore, but I was looking at the sky. And I thought, what happened? And I was holding on to the steering wheel, what I thought for dear life. See, what happened was when I pushed down the clutch, I just started to coast, and so the truck was just kind of meandering, and I wasn't watching the mirrors anymore, and I backed the dump truck right into the ditch, and I thought it was going to roll over, and so did everybody else. So I eventually did one of those where I had to like climb up and out of the door. I called my boss, and I thought to myself, this is going to be really expensive. This is going to be really expensive. I called my boss, and here's what he said. He said, I'll take care of it. So we called a tow truck. And tow trucks are expensive when it comes to uh, dump trucks coming out of ditches. And so we called a tow truck, and the tow truck got the dump truck out of the ditch, and, and my boss paid for that. But there were other costs, too, because I should have been working, but now I was fixing this problem that I had dealt with. And my coworkers, they all should have been working on some other project, but instead they were also helping us get this dump truck out of the ditch. If you add up all those numbers, this was a very costly mistake. And my boss said, I've got it. And even the next morning, what we always did when I worked at this construction company was we always gather at the office every morning and we'd kind of laugh about the day before and talk about the day we're having today. And so I, I go into the office the next morning thinking I'm going to, you know, I don't know, not knowing what's going to happen. And I walk in, and my boss says, it's done. He had absorbed the entire cost. And he didn't just absorb the financial cost. He left no room for me to feel guilty, and he left no room for the other guys to blame me for the thing that I had caused. We had fellowship again. My boss said, we're good and then he handed me the keys to a new day. You know, the blood of Jesus has washed us clean. Jesus has set us free from the darkness of guilt and shame and blame. And he's restored us to fellowship with God and with one another. And he's given us the keys to a new day. 
I want to finish by reading these last two if statements that John writes and make a couple observations. John writes this in verse 9 and 10. He says, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You know, confessing sins, it isn't about doing something so that God forgives. It's simply about being honest with ourself and with God. Yes, Jesus has set us free from darkness and the burden of sin, but the power of sin is still present in this world. And there will be times when it gets the best of us and maybe gets the best of those around us. And so let's just be honest with ourselves and humble before God. This helps us, I think, to be more gracious with ourselves and to be more gracious when sin gets the best of those around us. So I want to close with these two thoughts. John actually gives us sort of two ways forward in this passage, and the first one is what we just said, confess our sins. And again, I don't think John is necessarily talking about going to confession, although I think there can be great power in talking to somebody about your sins and having them pray with you and pray for you. I think that can be a very powerful experience. I think instead he's talking, though, about this more, this way of life that is honest and humble. And I do think there's great power sometimes in writing down our sins. I've heard people talk about this edifying experience where if you have something that's weighing heavy on your heart, write it down on a piece of paper and then burn the paper and let it go. Another one is to write it down on a rock and go and throw it in a river or throw it in a lake. The second thing that John says is to walk in the light. Walk in the light. Just because the power of sin is still in the world doesn't mean that we have to participate with it. Paul actually wrote, Paul the Apostle Paul, he wrote like if we give ourselves over to sin and if we continue to participate with sin, we make ourselves a slave to the very thing that God rescued us from. And so live as a free person. Live as a free person. Showering yourself and others with the grace and the dignity and the respect that Jesus poured out his life for. Jesus died so that his blood covered over our sins and he has given us the keys to a new day. And so may we receive those keys with gratitude and in grace for ourselves and for those around us. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna continue in worship. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your blood which conquers the power of sin. We thank you for the fact that you make us clean, that your blood purifies us from the inside out. We thank you for your light, God, that shines in dark places. We pray, God, that we would be able to receive your light, to confess those things that we need to confess so that our hearts can be lightened up and we can rid ourselves of the darkness. God, we pray that you would guide us and lead us as we go from here, being your people of the light as we take up the keys that you give us to this new day. And may we just go boldly into the next day with these keys. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.